0: Drop to throw, sets his feet down the left side. He's going for LaVisca Chenault, who cuts inside the defender, and he comes up with the football. Oh, are you kidding me? That is a touchdown. Touchdown, Colorado, by the wide receiver, LaVisca Chenault. And one away way to set the record for Steven Montez. Here comes the blitz. Hit. And it's picked off on a throw over the middle. Caught by Nate Lambin, He runs it up the near side. And he stumbles across the 30 yard line. Tripped up by the quarterback, Eason. And it's a turnover. Montez under center. They give it off on the end around the Lavisca Chenot. Who runs over the top of an defender and discards the defensive player and chucks him aside and works his way down to the 30. That right there came down to a will and a want to. And falls to the ball, takes it chest high. He scans, he looks, here comes a blitz. He is grabbed by Perry, and he's sacked. How about that play by the first man? Montez, the snap, play action, sets to throw. He's going for the home run. Tony Brown is in the end zone, and he makes the crowd. End zone, touchdown, touchdown, Colorado. Oh, what a throw. Oh, what a catch by Tony Brown.
1: Welcome into a new Buff Stampede radio. Adam Muster Tiger, the publisher of BuffStampede.com, here with football analyst William Gardner. William, uh, we are coming to you from the Blake Street Tavern, where a month ago, the evening of the first day of the regular signing period, we did a podcast with Tyler Zisk and Chase Howell as well. And uh, it's been an, an interesting month since then.
2: Why? Did, did something happen? Did I miss it? It, it's kind of crazy i was thinking that as i was walking down here that a month ago we were sitting here and and we you know i really felt like we'd arrived as a program and we're on on our way and then the last month has been up and up and down and up and down and i think we're i feel like we're back up now
1: okay well let's just get your overall impressions of carl durrell i shared some of my thoughts after the introductory press conference with Chase Howell on our last podcast and and definitely the the number one thing is that this is a genuine human being you're not getting sold here it's just Carl Durrell is who he is, and it's not the flashy type hire, but a very as Rick george said stable influence that this program he felt needed
2: well, and I think that has to do I think that probably has a lot to do with him being the choice in this particular case uh, you know. With the kids and the players and, and everybody else involved, all of us fans, how's somebody going to stand up in front of you and say all the things that coaches say and have any of us believe it now after what happened with Mel Tucker? Yeah. Because we're all going to look at you with this look in our eye like, yeah, right. That's what the last guy said too. And the guy before him and the guy before him. So I think getting a guy in here that um, you can just, I don't know, I mean, well, I was gonna say that you just can tell you can trust, but I'm not sure I can tell anymore, but he's clearly different in his approach he's cl- he's different where he's coming from as you get a little older and you get more experience in your career, you're seeking different things, you know, and I guess Mel Tucker is looking for that first job and the right job and what have you and Carl Durrell's kind of passed all that in in many ways, which makes you more calm, maybe more more uh okay with who you are and, and where you've been and you know he's already been a, P, a power five level coach so he had more success in that spot than anybody at CU in the last 15 years so and, That's,
1: it's funny listening to UCLA people talk about what he couldn't accomplish there I just keep looking at the fact that he went to a bowl game five years in a row, and yeah. I go, "You y- all have a different yeah. perspective on things than, than unfortunately right. we do out here at CU right now."
2: What makes me want to it makes me want to use words I'm not allowed to use at this particular time because it's like, yeah, I think I said on the board uh, last week at some time when that, when the hire came out that, uh, hey, you know what? If five years from now we're disgruntled because the the previous five years have been been all six and seven win seasons, okay, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll deal with that when we get yeah. there. But five bowl games in a row sounds like paradise to me. And and I know people, some people will say, "Oh well, you're just settling." I'm not settling. I'm just saying you, you got to take steps. You know, we're not going to go from where we've been the last 15 years to Alabama. You know, you got to work your way up there. Took Bill McCartney. He he went through a stretch. And I was thinking about this this morning. I was there. Uh, you know, people got he, – he. I think he lost his first three or four bowl games. People like, oh, all he ever does is win seven games and lose the bowl game. And, you know, then he took that next step, got those players in. And uh, I'm not saying that's what will happen here, but I think he just had to have some realistic expectations.
1: We'll have to see if Carl Durrell upgrades. I don't know what his house in Lafayette, which he already had before yeah. he took this job, looks like. But he's going to be making some money here. Five-year contract, $18 million Approved by the CU Board of Regents with a number of incentives in there, his buyout in 2020 would be 10 million, then 7.5 million in 2021, 5 million in 2022, down to 4 million in year four, and then 3 million in year five. So his buyout in year five is what Mel Tucker had after just 14 months in Boulder.
2: Right, and you know I, I don't I, I wasn't involved in the, in the negotiations, and I don't know what it took to get a coach to come in here to Boulder under the circumstances a year and a half ago, whenever that was. Um, and so I don't know why they had such a low buyout right off the bat. But I, I, I'd i like to believe that, hey, they believed this guy, that he said he was yeah. coming to a uh, what he called destination job and that he was going to build this into something when apparently he never had that intention at all. It's one of those hindsight's
1: 20-20 things. And right. In hindsight, you're like, well, why in the world wouldn't you have a higher buyout? But Mel Tucker's coming in from georgia for his first head coaching experience and you're just not even thinking that what transpired could possibly transpire but yeah i guess you with contracts you got to be forward thinking more than they were
2: i i suppose you know I, I don't know that anybody could have foreseen the particular set of consequences that made this all happen and you know I, i'm still look i'm in a business where people lie to me every day and and i am still stunned at the ability of Mel Tucker to look people in the eye as and really come across as a sincere guy and he's lying through his teeth. I'm, I'm kind of blown away by it. And so I think Rick George has been around. You know, he's been in sports. He's been at the highest levels of baseball and football and what have you. He, he's not a, a, a new guy off the street wet behind the ears. And I think he got taken in just like all the rest of us. And God bless him. It happens sometimes.
1: So we are recording this on thursday afternoon there's one assistant coach spot that still needs to be filled but by and large we have a, a, a feel for what carl drell's staff is going to look like danny langsdorf is the new quarterbacks coach mitch Rodry is the new offensive line coach taylor Embry the new tight ends coach chris wilson the new defensive line coach demetrius martin new cornerbacks coach and, uh, of course, Darren Cheverini, Tyson Summers, Brian Michalowski, and Darian Hagan are returning. What are just your overall thoughts on, on this staff that he's put together?
2: Well, I think it's a very solid staff, and, and particularly on defense, it, it looks like a really, really solid, good staff. I think we're going to, you know, Chris Wilson's a guy who develops players and puts them in the NFL, uh, was known as a really great recruiter. So he's a top teacher of the game. And I think Carl Durrell said that he was looking for guys who can teach the game. But I think he also made it clear that recruiting is a big deal. So I'm looking at that defensive staff, and and we don't know who the last person will be on it. But it looks pretty darn good to me at this point. You know, the one everybody's screaming about is the offensive line coach. And, you know, the one thing I take away from watching some of his teams is that they play well. You know, they're fundamentally sound, they play hard, they play the whistle. They looked a lot better than a lot of our offensive lines the last few years. I'd like to know why he never came to the P5 level. I'd like to know why he wasn't at college the last two years, and maybe those stories will come out. But what I see – He's working on the rod system. Yeah, the rod system, which is – everybody's having a lot of fun with that one. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I watch his teams, and I like what I see. It's a lower level, I but I don't think that you – know, it, you're still – I think that I don't think that matters a whole lot between where he was at Louisiana and southern Mississippi and Colorado. Obviously, the talent level will be better here, but what you're teaching is still the same things. It doesn't suddenly change into something totally different. So I like what I see from the guy, and, um, you know, I, I, think, I have to think that after what happened to us in the last month that, that uh, Carl Durrell and, and Lance Carl and Rick George did their homework on these people. And, you know, the fact that you can hire Chris Wilson, um, the fact that you can – and I can't uh, – who's the defensive backs? Uh, Demetrius Martin. Yeah. The fact that you can get those guys means that good – really good coaches want to come here. Okay? So So it's certainly not a situation where, well, nobody else applied for the offensive line coach. We had to take this guy. I'm, I'm, I know for a fact
1: they interviewed a couple other guys yeah. for that,
2: and so they you know they talked to people and they sat down and they had their interviews and they picked the guy they felt was the best fit for our, for what they want to do here, and um, you know Playball Put a post on the board today talking about that. Uh, Rodry just uh, okay how Rodry how Rodry ro- Rodry yeah, Rodri? yeah. Re- no G sound Rodry.
1: That's what he, he pronounced his last name like, as like, on the Rod system video that I watched.
2: Like rotary rotary okay Rodry, hey, Coach Rod.
1: Yes, Coach Rod. <laughs>
2: Coach Rod, uh, just
1: like Coach Cap was right. was the thing, exactly. Right? So uh, for a reason,
2: you know. And he he's talking about that that he's a really good teacher of the inside zone, the outside zone, and the stretch play out of the out of the spread. Ooh, I like that a lot. And I think that tells us about what kind of an offense we're going to be looking at. Um, I love the zone. You know, the Denver Broncos back in the day when they were going to all those Super Bowls were running that offense like that. So I'm very excited about that. Um, I'm sure they, they, they sat in a room with the guy and, and decided he had enough personality to be a good recruiter. And, you know, he got an award as a recruiter. I understand it was a long time ago and at a lower level. But, hey, if you can sell, you can sell. has mm-hmm. been my experience. So um, I looked at that offensive staff, and, if, and if, it sort of feels to me like they haven't decided 100% what they're going to do and maybe they're going to go into spring ball and see what they have for players. Yeah,
1: we got a question about that in the mailbag. I actually had a chance to chat with Carl Durrell for a little while over the phone today and asked him some about that, so we'll we'll get into that later. But in terms of the staff, fans can react how they want, and I try not to get too involved in that. I want our message board to be a forum for people to share opinions and not Mm -hmm. get jumped on if they maybe have a thought that's a little bit different than everybody else. But I will say just 14 months ago or 13 months ago when Mel Tucker finalized his staff the assistant coach hire that got people the most excited was Al Papunu right and he was the most disappointing on the staff
2: and 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 who did everybody jumped on with both feet was Mike and,
1: and he, he was the surprise of the staff he's a star
2: so a star
1: you know it makes for a boring podcast to just right. say we'll see but right wasn't just that. those are two examples but going back 17 years covering this program some, sometimes the sexy hires are the ones that end up, again, disappointing the right. most.
2: Well, and the old-timers on the board, you know, Chuck Fairbanks was the top of, the top of football. You know, he'd been at Oklahoma and the New England Patriots, and oh, my God, he's going to come in and revolutionize football in Boulder, and he was the worst thing that ever happened to this place. Yeah. Uh, so, like you said, sometimes, I don't know, and I found this in, in life outside of football as well, sometimes, sometimes the dudes that are not flashy are the ones that get in there and grind and do the work. The 2020
1: class, which, as we've mentioned many times on this podcast, ended up being the best on paper for Colorado since joining the Pac-12 in 2011, has just one defection. That's William Anglin. Apparently some family stuff. I don't know what the whole deal is. That was the one guy when Mel Tucker left that you go, that's going to be tough for Colorado to keep just because Mel Tucker pretty much took it upon himself to recruit Anglin because of his connections to Cleveland right. and Glenville High School and Ted Ginn. So that's not a surprise. The big one to keep was Jason Harris. Right. And Carl Durrell made that a priority from day one. Jason has told Brian Howell that he's on board. I talked to his mom. She's said they're really excited that Michael staying on staff and they've had good conversations with Carl Durrell. They're going to be out here for the spring game. If they only lose one guy off this class, and it, it, you know, Anglin, I think – looks really exciting on film. You would have liked to keep him, especially he was projected as a defensive back. You need some help there at safety, but I think he was the fourth lowest rated in the class in terms of his star rating. Right. That's, that's as good as you could have hoped for given what, what happened here in the last month.
2: Well, and I think we all thought, you know, that night when it all kind of blew up and, and you know, the next couple of days was dark periods, man. Yeah. And, and, uh, Really kind of wondered if any of them would stick around if we if we would lose half this class or anything, and so to have them all come in except for one guy is pretty miraculous really uh, so i'm very excited about that. You know we need to beef on on both of the lines we kept those guys, and like you said, Jason Harris is a program changer the same way Alfred Williams was back in the late eighties because there are there are certain things in football. That change the dynamic of a game and a pass rusher who can't be blocked is one of them so you know you, you you put a guy like that out there and all of a sudden all offenses have to change their what they're doing and focus on that guy because he will disrupt everything you're doing and we haven't had a guy like that in a while so uh yeah keeping jason harris was huge but this this class really seems to have a connection with each other and i don't know i mean i you know i, I only know one of them personally but it seems to me like they got a little chip on their shoulder about what happened to them, because it happened to them too, not just mm-hmm. us. And I think some of these guys want to prove something to somebody, and I know who to somebody is.
1: Yeah. The general theme that I got from talking to these signees was, I like Mel Tucker a lot, but he wasn't the number one reason that I'm going to Colorado and they had a an incredible bond together as a class and you see it happen more and more so every year with social media nowadays nowadays that they build this bond that uh, one coach leaving isn't going to break
2: right and there's so much you know we've had people on the board over the last few years say well you know you can't recruit the boulder there's nothing to recruit to here well there's a lot there's a lot of good stuff here and you know, I've coached a lot of these kids that went on to play at this level, and they're not all just football and girls, you know. They have as wide a range of interests as all the rest of us, right? So they come into Boulder, and, you know, okay, I, I had a kid. I'll tell a little story. I had a kid who was being recruited by the entire ACC back in North Carolina, and uh, he was going to go to North Carolina. No question about it. He wanted to go there his whole life. But he was straight-A student, top five in his class, and for his fifth trip he went to Princeton you know just to see Princeton and he came back and said coach I want to play there I said why is that Mike well they let me sit in Albert Einstein's chair <laughs> who could see that coming <laughs> right these kids are not just about they're not all just about wins and losses and, and sometimes they come in here I mean you stand on top of that champion center and I think that's probably pretty mind-blowing for a lot of these kids that are from flat places looking at the flat irons up there in the field down below you and all that kind of stuff so uh there's a lot to be sold here in boulder and we got a guy who knows all about it because he's been here before
1: brendan pine entered the transfer portal blake strandstrom did earlier it does seem though like carl durrell has a type of personality to where he's not going to run kids off I, I had a chat with him like i mentioned earlier that he put a lot of emphasis during his one-on-one meetings with the players of just getting to know them as human beings. He said that was one of the things that he learned during his stint at UCLA that he didn't do a great job of earlier on but got better at. Right. I don't anticipate there being a whole lot of movement.
2: In terms of transfers? In,
1: in terms such. of transfers, yeah. but I'd be surprised if, if there's a lot.
2: Well, I think you might see some guys who go through spring ball and the handwriting's on the wall that maybe you're not can play here a whole lot moving forward some sometimes there's sometimes there's guys like that um or guys that maybe don't fit in the in the context of the um, offense or defense that we're going to run or what have you and and you know things happen in kids' lives too, and yeah. that change their circumstances and maybe they want to go home or what have you so they're, they're, there's always somebody but i I get the feeling that the that the sense of family in this program right now is stronger than it's ever been since the McCartney era
1: there were four buffs at the 2020 nfl combine steve Montez actually was the guy that turned the most heads he had a, a really good 40 yard dash time he's not going to run that again at cus pro right. timing day next wednesday lavisca chanel it's it's too bad that he wasn't 100 percent recovered from the core injury that he suffered last year right he obviously would have run a f- faster 40 but with him like i just kind of laughed when i looked at some people talking about a stock going down and, and it probably did go down, but just turn on film with the guy. Right. He's got football speed. It, I don't really think it matters what he runs in a forty-yard dash. At least if I was a pro scout, I'm throwing that out the window right. and I'm taking him if I have a chance.
2: And that, that's it's sort of the interesting combine, interesting comparison. So not looking good at the combine, looking good on film is what Lavisca Schult, Chenault is, and, and and some general manager is going to look at the combine, look at the surgery. But then you're look at the film and go, you know what, this kid's going to get healthy, and he's going to be that guy I see on film. Now, you know, Stephen has a great day at the Combine, but then they turn on the film, and, and you know, it's a pretty shaky sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so you have to wonder. I think uh, a lot of NFL coaches, I think a lot of college coaches, I think a lot of NFL coaches feel like, well, I can fix that. I'm a better coach. That's why Steve montes is getting drafted. Right, right. right. Because for that very reason. Because I can fix that, but, you know, you can't fix what he can do with his arm and his feet. So, you know, I think he's going to need some more maturity at the next level, and he's really going to have to take the game more seriously. I hope he does. Would love to see him be the next Tom Brady. You know, so.
1: That, so that's where you're setting the expectations?
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, no, I'm not saying the expectations. I'm just saying wouldn't it be fun, you know, if ten years from now he's the guy – You know, because Tom Brady only started one year in college at Michigan, and so nobody really thought he was going to be what he is now. So who knows? I'm just saying it would be fun to have a CU player who's talked about amongst the top players in the NFL. Will that happen? I don't know. I wouldn't bet on it, but who knows? I mean, if the kid works hard enough and and applies himself to it, he's got the physical skills.
1: I like Steve, and I'm rooting for him. But, yeah, even if that happens, he has a successful NFL career. Of course, CU fans are going to always – kind of look back and go, well, why in the hell did he right. go to a bowl right. game under his why direction? Why did do that
2: for us? Yeah. yeah. And I think we're, you know, we're a jaded lot, and I think we had a right to be yeah. after the last no doubt. 12 years. Good Lord.
1: Well, we have a lot of fan questions, so this is going to be a mailbag-heavy show. Let's jump right into it. Six asked, at what
2: point will I be able to relax? Well, so... There comes a point where they put you in this six-foot box and they lower you into the ground. That's when. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You're a CU fan, man. (laughs) What's
1: funny is, you know, there was people reacting in different ways when Carl Durrell got hired. And I made the comment that if you were going to eject from being a CU fan, you should have done it a long time ago. See, it didn't. So let's see how this goes.
2: I mean... You know, at some point, it's like what, what are they, the, the, the the diminishing returns or something like that where you've invested so much that you just can't walk away. But, you know, I came, I came into this program in, in um, uh, boy, it's been so long, 83, I think, and I think we went one in 10. Or maybe, I, I'd have to look back to be sure, but the first few years under McCartney were not good, and the years before him under um, Fairbanks were worse. And so we, we were suffering through, even worse than what we've been through recently, and then all of a sudden in nineteen eighty six it turned around. And then it went all and then it went all the way to the very top where we were the Alabama of the nineties. And then, you know, sort of slowly degraded until we got to two thousand twelve. And so if you're a CU fan, you ride the roller coaster and that's the way it goes.
1: Missoula Buff asked, Coach Carl Durrell suggested that the spring ball schedule might get tweaked. Have you heard any news regarding changes to the spring practice in the spring game? Thanks.
2: Last I heard, he said they're going to do this, just keep it the same, aren't they? Yeah, yeah.
1: they're going to start March sixteenth. Spring game on April twenty fifth. The spring game you couldn't have changed because it's the final Saturday before final start. So they had already pushed it back as far as they could. Mel Tucker likes to have that long winter strength and conditioning right. program. It'll be interesting which, which to I see. Which I agree with, and I hope yeah.
2: we keep that. Yeah.
1: yeah. So the only thing you could have done is wait until after spring break to start. Then it would just be really condensed. And so Carl Durrell, uh, with some input from the players, it's cool that he's kind of taken how they feel about things into account as well.
2: Just a little segue off of that. I love the fact that the first thing he did the night before it was even announced was he met with the seniors. I love that. Yeah. That's going to buy you a lot of credibility with kids.
1: So, yeah, they'll go, I think, three practices the week of March 16th. Spring break is going to take place and then they'll come back and then finish it up there. Movie Buff asked, Our recent head coaches have been defensive-minded. What types of culture-slash-scheme-slash-mindset changes, if any, are there with an offensive coach now at the helm?
2: You know, I don't think it matters so much which side of the ball the coach comes from. You you look at McIntyre and you look at Tucker, who are both defensive coaches, and they're both very different people, very different personalities, very different ways that they, uh, or things that they emphasize in football. So I don't know that it necessarily matters too much which side of the ball they come from. Carl Durrell historically has been a receivers coach. Um, I, does that mean something? I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, he's talked a lot about I think I think coming from the NFL has a lot more uh, input in my mind on to his mindset of how to play the game um, than whether he's an offensive or defensive coach. So I'll try to illustrate that a little bit. Mike McIntyre comes from San Jose State. I know he had some time in P5 P- 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 programs before that, but still he come from San Jose State. And while he put together a good team, they're, they're not the kind of Alabama juggernaut that you see. Somebody coming from the NFL, Alabama would be winless in the NFL. So you have to have big players. You have to be physical. You uh, have to do all those kinds of things that we all want to see in football because that's the nature of that business. So I think that has more to do with it frankly than whether somebody is is offensive or defensive minded I do I think you were talking to Carl Durrell and he talked about uh, that he wants to base that all the great teams in Colorado history when he was here under McCartney were defensive based first and foremost mm-hmm. and that's true and Bill McCartney often changed his off I mean he changed his offense three or four times during his career here but he never changed that defense because he's going to come after you so um, I don't know. That, those are my thoughts on that.
1: With Darren Cheverini set to be offensive coordinator, the play caller, you got to feel much better about Carl Drell having the background he does, though, right? right? In terms of, I know that Cheverini's past with the air raid and, and some of the, they're going to use some of those concepts in this right. offense, and so Carl Drell's past in terms of the type of offense they ran is different. But just from all the experience he's gained on that side of the ball, you got to feel a lot better about that dynamic then if they had a defensive minded coach with chefs stepping up into this role maybe more more question marks
2: well you know and, and you look back on when he was an offensive coordinator before and he had a def- he had a, de- a former defensive coach as his head coach and he had a co-coordinator who really wasn't qualified to hold that position so who was he going to talk to to for his ideas on 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 how to run the offense now you know you've got Lang- langsdorf uh who has experience as an offensive coordinator um, and has a lot of offensive thoughts. You have Carl Durrell, who's been an offensive coordinator and has ideas for what he wants to do. You have um, you know. So you've got a lot of different influences on what he can do to, to call plays, and he's not going to be turning to somebody who's just as green as he is. So from that perspective, yeah, I think it makes a big difference. You,
1: yeah, you just don't want it to be a too-many-cooks-in-the-kitchen right. type right. situation. Right. That's but you know the other you, side of yeah, it.
2: You have, you know you have Langford presumably sitting up in the booth watching the defense and he's going to know what he's looking at. So yeah.
1: All right, on to our next question from Natty Zaddy. He asked, "Do you have any guesses on what the offensive system will look like?" Seems like there's a diverse range of directions they could go given the experience of the staff. So we touched a little bit up on this, but Durrell told me they're going to have air raid concepts, but they he wants to have A diverse multiple type offense very tempo based on what I heard there it it sounds similar to what they actually ran under Jay Johnson because that was kind of what we heard from him when he came in and his desires and what we saw on the field last year
2: and they you know they very specifically hired this offensive line coach because of his background at least one reason was his background with the zone run scheme and uh, run and spread concepts in the run game so you have to figure that's going to be part of it as well. So, I mean, you know, with the talent we got up front now and with the running backs we're going to have, it makes a lot of sense to line up and just run at people. All
1: right. Movie Buff also asked, with Blake Stenstrom out, do you know slash think Coach Carl Durrell will be looking for a grad transfer quarterback? If not, who would you expect to start against the Rams? So in that conference call with season ticket holders, Durrell mentioned that they might be in the market for a grad transfer quarterback. That's a bit of a delicate situation because you've got Tyler Lytle, who's a junior, who this is like his first real chance right. to try to win the starting job. Brandon Lewis came in because he thought he could start as a true freshman. Right. You bring a grad transfer in, and that definitely helps from a depth standpoint. You're not quite as nervous going into the season with just two scholarship quarterbacks, but that, that grad transfer quarterback is going to want to play. right? And He's I'll, only and got
2: one year left. Right, and you're also telling your players, well, I don't think I can count on you.
1: So we'll see how the spring shakes yeah. out.
2: I think, you know, it's, it's very scary. You know, I don't know. I mean, it, 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 it almost feels like if you could find a, a, a transfer guy who was a little younger, maybe, or, or somebody who, I don't know, would just be insurance. <laughs> you yeah, know. you
1: would maybe want to go back and recruit a Juco quarterback from yeah. the last recruiting cycle, but right, any late. talented Juco guy's right. already figured out where he's going. Right.
2: So, yeah, it, it, you know, if we go through the season with two quarterbacks, it's going to be scary.
1: Between Lytle and Lewis, (laughs) if we're putting odds on it, man, for me, it's got to be close to 50-50 because you've got Lytle who's got the experience. He's been a good leader. He's got a good arm but doesn't have the dual-threat capabilities. Brandon Lewis, I mean, any early enrollee coming in in from the high school ranks, as good as he was there, he's going to have to learn a whole lot. I mean, if it's close, you go with youth, right?
2: Well, yeah, but then... I don't know. I don't even know if I want to say this, but you know, what if you pick Brendan Lewis and Lytle transfers? Now you're in trouble. But uh, I, I, at the end of the day, I don't think that could be the deciding factor. But yeah, I'd say fifty-fifty until I see him in spring. Who knows? You know, uh, which direction do, does this offense want to go? Do they want to be more multiple and have a guy who can you know make things happen on the on the edges with his feet? We'll see. It will. Um, will Lewis be able to pick up? concepts at this level which are going to be much more complicated be able to read defenses things like that so we'll put them out there we'll see what happens
1: yeah this is nothing against Tyler Lytle because I again I think he's got a really good chance to win the starting job and have success here but if I was a college coach I would only recruit dual threat quarterbacks out of high school yeah it's like this great equalizer in college football remember you know when Todd Reesing was at Kansas, right? And you know a couple of those close games. Colorado does in. everything perfectly defensively, right. and then he just takes off 40 yards down yeah. the field, and it just breaks your back as K- a defense.
2: Khalil Tate, you know, in recent years, yeah. So
1: dangerous. Asked Mel's Michigan State staff or Carl CU staff. Then he also asked Mel's CU staff or Carl CU staff. Seems like we've upgraded a defensive line and cornerbacks
2: coach positions. Well, you know, I don't want to sound like Mr. Sunshine Pumper, but I'm taking Carl Durrell's in both cases. You know, I, I think he makes a good point here. Um, you know, the, that staff he hired at Michigan State is not aces. I mean, there's a couple guys on there that are pretty good, but, you know, he – he and, and, of course, Cap, he's got a couple guys from Colorado, but he's got a couple – he's got more head scratchers than Carl Durrell does, in my view. So I, I think I would take the staff we have here.
1: If Rodri – proves to be a good right. hire then i right. would definitely agree with you right
2: i think that's the big question mark and we'll wait and see how that plays out and then we'll see how how recruiting starts to play out here when they get back into it as well um what were your
1: thoughts on, i, I like jay johnson as an offensive coordinator the jury was still out on him because you know how much of it was on steven montez just being an inconsistent quarterback in terms of their struggles yeah. this last year because the ground game was pretty good right. they had good receivers they had a much better old line under coach Cap. Um so I wasn't 100% sold on him but I also do think I liked some of his concepts.
2: Yeah I, I liked a lot of what he was doing as well. Might too. There were some real head scratching moments like when they stopped running the ball against Southern Cal with a lead that uh, I'll never figure that one out. Um so there there were times I think when he got off the script and and you wonder what he was doing but uh yeah I was overall was relatively satisfied with him. If if he had been back this year I'd have been okay with it.
1: Yeah. All right, moving along. High Plains Drifter, 6236, asked, Any inkling on how Carl Durrell prioritizes recruiting? Specifically, do you think we'll continue building from the inside out with big bodies on the offensive line and defensive line or return to the days of athletic linemen who need to gain 70 pounds to play in the Pac-12? And also along those lines, Y.O. Buff asked, What kind of lines has Carl Durrell had in the past and he wanted to get your thoughts on the future in the trenches with the staff we know so far.
2: Well, the first thing is, I, I don't like the way the question is written, are we going to go back to athletic linemen? They all have to be athletic, but we want them big and athletic rather than small and athletic. I don't see anything to me from Carl Durrell's past that that, that says he's not going to go big. You know, UCLA always had huge offensive and defensive lines. I don't see any reason to believe that that's not going to be the case here. The guys that uh, Coach Rod uh, (laughs) had at Louisiana were all huge guys, 310, 305. Nobody under 300 on his last starting line there. So There's nothing about what he's doing that suggests to me we're going to get smaller. Chris Wilson is a known uh, quantity. He's going to recruit really good, really big, really fast players and make them better players. So uh, I don't know that I can speak so much to how Coach Durrell prioritized Well, Well, actually,
1: I asked him okay. point blank, do you like to get the big bodies and then mold them when they get on campus, or do you like the leaner frame that you can build up? And he said with tackle prospects, sometimes you like them in that, that 260 to 280 range right. coming in, and you can build them up. But he made it sound like he does like size, especially in the interior of, right. of, of the lines.
2: Well, and the thing about the tackle position is what you're really looking for is those 6'7", six, 6'6", seven, six, seven, six, six guys with really super long arms, right? And those guys, a lot of times, don't put on the beef until they... Well, they got
1: the metabolism that right. we, we, we dream of as we get older. Well, and you know,
2: not to get too much into the weeds, but it's a little bit of physics, too. The longer your arms are, the harder it is to bench a lot of weight, okay? Because your fulcrums and distance from the uh, rotation points and blah I could bore you with it but um, it takes longer for kids with longer arms and longer legs to put on all that size and strength uh, and plus you're looking for guys that are uh, have the athleticism of like your power forwards in the NBA right who can really move and have those super long arms so yeah I mean you look at the top 20 um, guys on our, on our website nationally for tackle and the top 20 for guard and center and they're very different Looking guys, All the guards are 300 pounds, and a lot of the tackles are 265. So, yeah, I agree with him completely with that.
1: I get where this question comes from because McIntyre definitely took some guys that were too lean. Like Aaron Hagler is probably the best example, right? He actually played pretty well as like a 260-pound tackle playing with Kron in that 16 season. Then he puts on a bunch of weight, and then he can't move anymore. And I know Drew Wilson said, like, that's one of the things he loved about mel tucker was you're giving me guys i can really work with here in the weight room i can't make a guy a natural 300 pounder if he's not a natural 300 pounder
2: if he doesn't have the body to do it and so you know you look at you so you you look at a guy you look at some of these big defensive tackles we brought in last year like an austin williams those guys can move they're they're ridiculously athletic um okay so they're not going to go out on a basketball court and you know drill between their legs and all that kind of stuff but if you went out on the field, you would be amazed at the things they could do compared to some of our 270-pound guys from recent years. So uh, I, I think we're going to be big and, and mobile, just like we always have been. You don't, I'll tell you this, on the defensive line, you don't hire Chris Wilson unless you want big and fast. Anon six
1: two six eight five five zero asked, what did Carl Drell learn about college football in his one year at Vanderbilt versus his days at UCLA? That was a seven-year break similar to now. Slight tweaks, or did the landscape change noticeably?
2: Well, the very first thing is that uh, UCLA and Vanderbilt are two entirely different worlds. Culturally, football, uh, conference, so they're they're very different places. I think I get the gist of what the question is, is has has the game changed significantly? But I don't think that uh, Carl Durrell, just because because he's in the NFL, is not in touch with the college game um you know it's not like they're on mars playing in the nfl they still have all their friends that coach in in the college level and are still you know they got to recruit they got to scout these kids and draft them and develop them so I, i don't know that there's a whole lot that goes on in college football that you miss out on because you're coaching in the nfl if that's the question
1: well even the west coast offense which Durrell is attached to right because he's run that in the past that's evolved even at the NFL level. Didn't the Kansas City Chiefs run a pro style with Patrick Mahomes? And there's – it's just – it's evolved so much more. And, yeah, I mean, if Chev is promoted to OC and told we're going to run a pro style offense, then I'd be a little concerned. But it seems like he he understands the way things have evolved. And then, you know, another thing he learned and that he's been upfront and honest about and something that I mentioned earlier is that he knows the key to being a great head coach is connecting with his players. That's something that he said he learned over his time at UCLA. In talking with uh, folks out there at UCLA, they said I mean, he was 40 years old when he got that head coaching right. job. Well, and they, he he got better as a coach. Now, some of the assistants that were really good at recruiting early during his tenure there left, and so the talent maybe wasn't quite up. But they were still, yeah, you know, again, going to bowl games.
2: Well, and I think as you get older, you know, you get into your 50s, and, and you. You, I don't want to generalize too much, but, you know, when you're in your 30s and 40s, like, well, I can do everything. I, I, I'm the guy. I can take care of this. You get into your 50s and you start to value the people around you and what they can do for you and how you can help them do what they do. And so you want to surround, you know, as, as you get a little older, you want to surround yourself with veteran people, uh, in part because you're not threatened by it, okay, in a way that you might be when you're younger. Because, hey, uh, you know, I'm 55. I know who I am. If you're really good and you're 30, good for you. Let's go get some work done. So I think that's a part of it. I think that I think that, that everything that he's done and the different coaches he's worked under since that UCLA stint make him a better coach.
1: Y.O. Buff asks, Carl Durrell is doing well with retaining 2020 commits. What about the existing roster? I know you can't specifically comment on attrition candidates, but do you expect any 2019 two-deep will transfer? We touched on this a little bit yeah. already.
2: Yeah, didn't Wild Buff already get a question? Is, is there a limit here?
1: He's even got more d- down, the line, down the line, so okay. I'll, I'll allow it. <laughs> All
2: right. <laughs> um, you know, I, I cannot look at the roster right now, and when I look at that roster right now, I don't, look at, I don't see anybody that jumps out to me as, as somebody that I think is not going to be here. I think it's when you're a player on a team and a new coach comes in, it's a new day, and everybody has a clean slate. Now, I know we kept a lot of our coaches – but um, you got a new head coach, and so you know whatever whatever biases or opinions the the last coaching staff had, they're gone. And so you go out and spring ball this year and bust your hump and you know, you got as good a chance as the guy that started every game last year because nobody's bought into what happened before. Um, attrition, I, I, you know, I never know. It, 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 it always catch, seems to catch me by surprise when it happens. Didn't see that coming.
1: Yeah, cornerback is pretty deep at this point but then you're gonna to have to move some of those guys right. to safety and so that'll right. kind of work itself out running back is a deeper group right um but a lot of places it, it's just the numbers have been kind of put into a place in a good place aside from safety but again i think you're going to trans you move some of those cornerbacks right.
2: over there well and you know a lot some of those running backs are not going to wind up in the top four or five and maybe they move some move to another position or you know go play at a different level or what have you but i i I couldn't speculate as to who so i think we wait and see i I still you know i I don't want to talk bad about any kid any of the players but you know i think there's some guys on the offensive line who don't belong at this level and we'll see what happens with those guys
1: buffalo buff high asked who has the better class next year us or little bro university how did the, how did uh, Michigan State become little bro university? I, I noticed a couple of the Michigan, signees mentioned yeah. that on Twitter as well.
2: Michigan, Michigan State. So the the divide. So we have Colorado and Colorado State, in Michigan it's even bigger. It's like you know if you're a Michigan fan, you look you look down at Michigan State like they're garbage, okay. uh, and and I think it's it's been my impression. You know, I used to coach at that Michigan camp, and my impression was that it was much bigger than the CU CSU thing here. Okay. So, so Michigan State is little bro compared to Michigan. <laughs> Which they hate, you know, uh, and a lot of people don't like Michigan, don't like that so much. But that's the that's the the story there with how that what where that comes from. Yeah,
1: say what you will about Mel Tucker, but hey, we saw it here. He's a pretty good recruiter.
2: Well, and he makes his coaches do their job, which is the big part of it. You know, you can't have guys sitting in their office not going out recruiting. So I assume he'll do the same thing there that he will here. But I believe that our staff will be out there working too. So I, I mean. There's, there's t- way too many variables to answer that question accurately. I'll tell you what I want to have happen.
1: Right. But if somebody said, I'll give you $100,000 if your answer to this question is correct, you're probably going to say Michigan State, right? I don't know. I don't know about that. Why, why do you think? Because they've traditionally had better recruiting classes. They haven't had the lulls. I know there's a lot going on there right. and we'll see what happens with right. some of that and stuff see, that see, could be a real issue yeah. but and I don't, I don't I, I've been so focused on trying to cover this coaching search and everything that you know I, I see a few tidbits here and there about right. what's happening in Michigan State but I don't really know the, the full details
2: well you know I, I, there's some other you per, touch on a good subject because there's a lot of things that go into this question for example what if he goes out there and wins three games you know and all of a sudden, like, oh wow, maybe this wasn't such a good hire, right? Um, maybe he should. Well, know, they're just, stuck with him now, right? With that contract. Right. And you know, I you know, I look at our schedule last year, and he should have won a couple more games here. Okay, so maybe maybe he turns out to be not a very good coach. Who knows? Um, the other thing we all want to see too is is re- we we all want to see recruits not trust him because you can't trust him now. They're well, not going to care about. I that know, stuff. I know, I know. But hey, come on, work with me here. <laughs> right. Hanging on by a thin thread, man. Um, <laughs> But there, there's so many variables. Um, I'm, I'm not going to concede that they're going to have the better class. Yeah. I'll, I'll just say that.
1: I mean, I will say that Mel Tucker's not recruiting in Colorado. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, well, I think East that Lansing, is, East yeah. Lansing,
2: source. Of, I'm not sure I'm supposed to say that word, but it's not a not a wonderful place. Never been, never been. Yeah, Ann Arbor is a lot like Boulder, so they have the advantage there too.
1: Y.O. Buff also asked, what about Drew Wilson? Is the strength and conditioning staff from the assistant pool the regents vote on? So, no, there's a cutoff, and I don't know what that is. What is it, like half a million, I think, maybe, in terms of what the contracts the the, the, the regents have to vote on
2: to to prove? Uh, What, the size of them, how much they get paid? Yeah, Yeah. because if it's below that... Then they don't have to approve it, yeah. Yeah, Uh, yeah, I'm not sure what the exact number is. Other people on the board probably know that. But, um, you know, the football budget and i could be wrong on this and if somebody knows jump in and correct me but i don't think the the football budget is one monolithic thing you know the football budget is probably broken down into sub parts and, and
1: it's not you, drew wilson and his staff aren't part of the 3.8 right. million that i got i got approved by the regents so right. i guess is exactly. the answer to yeah, his question that's right? right? that's
2: where i was coming at is, is that the, the the strength and conditioning staff is in many ways a very separate entity from the football coaching staff. They all work together, obviously, and but in in, mo- in most places, most cases, the head coach doesn't necessarily come in and, <clears throat> and change up the head strength coach. Most of, the place, most of the coaching changes I've seen at various places over over the last 20, 30 years, the strength coach stays the same. So, um, Losing Coach Cap,
1: obviously, was not ideal. Had Drew Wilson gotten poached? That would have been as bigger, or maybe even bigger, deal because he's the guy that's kind of kept this right. ship together here during this awkward transition period.
2: Well, and the fact that we didn't have a bunch of kids bail and transfer and leave, and or just stop working out, is due to the fact that, that Drew Wilson and and Chivarini, I think, too, stayed there and kind of kept them all together as a family and what have you. So he, and you know, people kind of downplay the strength and conditioning coach, but he spends more time with the players than any other coach in the whole program, and. In that role, he can shape those kids in terms of their mentality and their toughness, and obviously, you know how big and strong they are.
1: And last year, we finally saw the we had the greatest off season ever actually show itself right. on the field. Right. You go back to that Washington game, and it was like, man that that was a Drew Wilson win right, right. there.
2: And Stanford, you know, we just beat them up and just knocked them around, and uh, so, you know. You know, I, I knew things that were going on inside the program, and there were limitations on them, and, and a lot of those limitations were removed. And so now you see guys in there, and you see see the tweets about, you know, the, who the guy's benching over 400 and things like that, and, and you have to have that kind of strength. And, and uh, head coaches and strength coaches who don't believe that you need that kind of mass and power in, in football are just wrong.
1: Yeah. I like the fact they split the team up into different groups, and right. they're competing for something right, this offseason. Team.
2: Kind of, you want to get your Jordan gear?
1: <laughs> hey, if I was 20 years old, I'd be about that. Right. Uh, four BNME TDs asked, I was pleased about the uniform choices made last year in a more traditional way. Do you think it is likely that a traditionalist like Carl Durrell will lean even heavier into that?
2: I don't know if you asked him. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm a tradi- I like the traditional uniforms too, but my favorite is Stormtrooper.
1: I liked what Mike McIntyre actually did. He brought the seniors over oh, to his another, house yeah. before and camp, they picked, and they picked like let the players have right. a say into that. Right. Mel Tucker, it was fine, but he kind of chose it on his own.
2: Right. Yeah, I like that too, where the where the kids get to decide. And if you know they pick weird combinations, hey, they're the ones out there playing. Exactly. Yeah.
1: All right, moving along. DL Buff asked, "Any interesting stories that you can share now about the coaching search?" from how mel tucker left to any color leading up to the carl Jarrell announcement thanks what have i not put out there
2: right i'm trying to think of what's been behind the scenes i mean everything is really do you have
1: any questions that pop to the top of your head in terms of the coaching search and maybe some gaps that hadn't been filled in terms of reports
2: well you know i I i I'm maybe kind of reading between the lines, and I think people want to know how far down the list was Carl Durrell. And I'm not sure he was down the list, to be honest with you, in retrospect, looking back on how it all played out.
1: He wasn't the first guy they offered the job to, no, though.
2: No, no. But I don't think he's a guy that – I don't I, – I don't, and I don't know. I, I don't feel like they went a week and asked these five guys. They all said no, and they said, oh, my God, throw their hands up, and now we've got no, to look they, for some other guy.
1: They interviewed seven guys, I think. Yeah. Steve Sarkeesian was offered the job it looked like he was going to finalize a deal right. with CU has a heart to heart with right. Nick Saban who is uh quickly moved his way to the top right. of the hate list for <laughs> CU fans here. Yeah.
2: Well, he's not a likable guy to begin with. So
1: and so, yeah, Troy Calhoun, that wasn't yeah. going to happen. Oh my god. Wow. Brett Bielema, that wasn't going to happen. Yeah. I'm trying to think of what, what what other rumors can I Well, there was confirm Eric or, EB. Oh yeah, there were many conversations yeah. with him. Yeah. I don't think it got to the point of with S- sark it was like okay we're gonna start talking numbers here right i don't know quite where it went with the but yeah there were a lot of conversations there even carl durell mentioned that at his intro press conference that he was asked were you a- aggressive in trying to get this job and he said no I've, i mean i'm close friends with the and
2: you know I, I i it's it pops into my head all of a sudden as we're talking about this that uh you know, Carl is probably the better fit for us over E B at this point, given their personalities. Because I think this team and this fan base needed somebody who was a little calm. And the one thing Eric is not is calm. And I you know, I think he's gonna be a great head coach someday, but coming into this this, this particular situation, we really needed somebody to kinda soothe everybody.
1: I told people this like a, like throughout a, the whole coaching search that I like Eric Biename. But he is where he needs to be. Right. And he's going to right. be a, a better NFL head coach. Right. Than, in my opinion, he would have been a college head coach, right. coach. The benefit of hiring Eric Bieniemy would have been perception's sake. Right. He just won a Super Bowl. Right. And people are going to be excited about that nationally, unlike how they were with Carl Durrell and going, kind of going, what? Where, where did that come from? Type of, type of situation. Right. But how long does that last, that it, that initial perception, you know what I mean? Like
2: Well, I think you're right that they that both men are where they need to be now. I think I think Carl's a better fit for uh, Carl better fit for college. And and Eric needs to get that head coaching spot in the NFL and show what he can do there. So yeah, yeah I totally agree with you. That's that's a really good analysis.
1: John Embry is maybe the best tight ends coach in the world he failed here. Like some guys are meant to be at certain spots and do really well in those, in
2: those roles. Right. Yeah. One of the top two, I would say. I Uh, mean,
1: Tony Gonzalez credits John Embry for a lot of the success he had in his career.
2: Right. And you know, um, I don't know. Some, sometimes the best place for, you know, I think everybody thinks everybody wants to be the head coach at some point. I never wanted to be, I didn't even want to be a coordinator. I just like coaching a position and making those kids as good as I can make them. Um, doesn't I mean I'm lazy or anything else. It's just that's not my ambition. And so people gotta find their place where they fit. And that's again, I think goes back to that age thing I was talking a little bit about, that you get a little more comfortable and I don't have to prove anything. And I think John Embry's where he needs to be, Eric Bianomi's where he needs to be, and we got Carl Durrell back where I think he needs to be.
1: Mountain Buff Zero Seven asks, Tell more hilarious Dan Hawkins stories. Do you have any of those? Did did you happen to hear our, our podcast? I kind of want to a mini rant, a little with, bit. A
2: yeah, do <laughs> yeah. you got any more? The, I got a couple. Let me hear yours. And I'll, I'm trying to jog my memory back to, to those days. It seems like a long, such a long time ago now.
1: So the infamous fifth year of the Dan Hawkins era. Everybody knew he was a dead man walking, right? He's in a. I was told this by a couple people that were in, in the room at the time, and they were kind of asking what they can do to help support the football program kind of open-ended Dan Hawkins response give me an extension <laughs> wow. the nerve on yeah. that guy yeah there was one time he said during camp It was like on a Monday he was asked by another reporter about I'm trying to think exactly how he worded it but he mentioned he was asked like are there any academic casualties that, that they're going to that are going to take place. And he says, well, I don't know, there's a couple guys that we're going to have to find out when grades come out at the end of the week. And so on, I think it was like that weekend, I happened to ask him, you know, have you gotten any word with the summer grades, how are things looking there? And he looked at me and said, do you have kids? And at the time I didn't, so I said no. He said, well, you'll understand one day when your kid comes home bawling their eyes out that you have to have a little bit more sensitivity than that. And I'm like, I like, have no idea where this is coming from. Yeah. I guess it was his way of, he just didn't want to answer the question that day. Right. But he was the one that said a few days earlier that there were maybe going to be some academic issues. I don't know. You just never quite knew what you were going to get from that guy.
2: Well, and he was, he was, a, he was a weird guy when he came into the schools, too, because I was coaching down at Douglas County and before that at Mountain Vista. And, and he would come down. And he was a, he was an odd guy, and he really he really set people off. he didn't really ever understand know who he was talking to, or you know what kid he was there to see, or anything else like that. And, and this is not necessarily a Hawkins story, but but I remember I went out for beers one night with with a, a handful of coaches from the Douglas County area, and there was three head coaches in there, and uh, I don't know how it came up. Started to talk about CU and. Uh, uh, one of the head coaches, and don't even ask him, I'm not going to say, uh, says he used two words. One of them is mother. <laughs> and he said, that guy will never come into my school again. And the other two head coaches both said, I'm with you on that. So he had alienated a lot of people. Yeah. By, and, I, and I think it's just weirdness and arrogance as much as anything else.
1: When he got fired, he put all of his CU stuff into a duffel bag, and in a huff, went down to the equipment room and threw it there, and you know, made some kind of scene about it. You know the KU debacle.
2: Yeah, that yeah. The, you know, the, the game.
1: until Oregon State was the well, I right. guess the Oregon State oh, debacle matched you, that in terms of the twenty eight point. Yeah, what are you lead, doing to the,
2: me, man? Bringing up these things. I <laughs> see. I had them nice and compartmentalized back there where I didn't have to remember them.
1: So I had an offensive coach on that staff tell me that they were planning to get more conservative and dan hawkins overrode them and said no because cody was going for some
2: records oh man wow that's amazing
1: yeah i think we've spent enough time in the last two podcasts talking about dan hawkins if i can think of some others i will but just a weird
2: dude you know i I remember having a conversation with jeff grimes when he was at auburn and, and talking about why he left and i can't i can't My old brain can't recycle it, but he said some pretty funny stuff. If I remember it, I'll put it up. Okay. Yeah.
1: Optimus Prime Buff asks, There are several Power 5-rated tight ends in Colorado for the 2021 recruiting cycle. Will one or two of them commit to CU?
2: I got a good feeling about it. I think we'll get one of them.
1: Okay. Well, Sam Hart's already committed to Ohio State. Right. Gunner Helm probably the best chance with him uh,
2: that's what i was thinking too he's probably the best and then the I mean, that Heritage. cherry
1: creek connection has been paying right. dividends for right. cu and then yeah terrence ferguson i don't know i think taylor embry is just gonna have to have a really good connection with right. one of these guys
2: well you know it, it suddenly occurs to me that john embry went to cherry creek yeah back in the day so i don't know if that's going to be a connection or not but you never we'll know we'll see yeah i, I gunner helm is the one that's, that's most exciting to me watching their film and what they do uh I'd like to have him out of that group. But I have a good feeling about it.
1: Blitzmore 444 asked, will Chev also be recruiting coordinator? Do you have a take on the walk-on quarterbacks? Is there any chance they can provide game day depth? Cool. I think chev has got enough on his plate if right. he's going to be right. calling the plays. And, and they still going to have to lean on him heavily as a recruiter because he's a superstar in that right. sense. But uh, you need somebody else coordinating all that stuff.
2: Yeah, and I don't know, you know, if it's not somebody that's not, not even an assistant coach so much that that really puts it all together. And I, I'm, I'm I've never gone been. are the days of
1: an assistant really right. organizing, you right. know, w- w- when, where coaches are going and the board and all that stuff. That's you've got a recruiting department for right. that stuff. You, you,
2: that, that, that's sort of the bigger issue is: is are they going to maintain and hopefully grow that recruiting staff? To do all those kinds of things.
1: Well, I think that Rick and Lance—I mean, in Lance, I'm sure already knew the importance of this—but like, they had a beefed-up recruiting staff last year, right. and you have the best class you put together. Right. And yeah, there's a lot of factors that went into them putting that class together, but that recruiting department did did a good job. Jeff Martson, who followed Tucker up to Michigan State, was awesome at his job, and it's not to say you can't get a suitable replacement that'll be just as good as him, but. Right. It was impressive because they did positional recruiting. That's hard to organize because you've got guys going all over the place, and you've only got so many evaluation days, so you're still right. needing to hit up high school. So the organizational standpoint from Martson, and they were ahead of it. You know, they, they offered a lot of kids first, and then other schools came in and kind of helped them get their foot in the door first. And so you know, he was really good at his job.
2: Yeah, we need to see Carl Durrell kind of get some people like that and follow in those footsteps.
1: All right, moving along. Oh, in terms of walk-on quarterbacks, I don't. All I know is Matt Ryan is really short, and yeah. he won a bunch of scout team awards. Yeah. Until somebody tells me that one of these guys has a chance at the starting job, I'm not going to put a whole lot of. Yeah. If, but yeah, I mean, it, I, I know where this question's coming from. Is there it, like an emergency option there? Yeah. And I, I don't know the answer to that question.
2: Well, you know, the the, the big fear is, are we going to be Nebraska a couple of years ago? You know, down to walk-on quarterbacks, and let's just hope that doesn't doesn't become an issue.
1: C.T. Buff asked, best guess as to what the offense will look like next year. Carl Durrell comes from the West Coast background. Chev is considered more of an air raid guy. Is it one of those or something in between? And along those lines, Idiot Clown said, one of the things that bugs me about football coaches in Colorado is when they decide to huddle on offense, which gives away the only home field advantage, which is based on physics, lower air pressure. When I hear West Coast offense, the first thing I think of is huddle do you think our new coach will go away from the no huddle offense we have seen at cu in recent years
2: i i'm I'm with him as far as not huddling i'd love to see us just go at a high pace all the time you know and just run people out of the stadium because they can't handle the altitude uh i don't know if we'll do that or not
1: well carl drill said it's a situational thing there are times that you need to huddle up if you're from a clock management standpoint but it it does sound like they'll go up tempo quite often
2: yeah and i think we've talked a lot about what what I it's gonna
1: right. be. It's gonna be. My guess, based off everything I've heard, is more of a spread look. But again, similar to what they did last year, they're still gonna have you know the ability to go eleven personnel, twelve personnel, have more of a pro style look in certain situations.
2: Right. And, and I, I get the I get the impression that we we hired this offensive line coach to be able to run the ball. So you know I think we'll see uh, taking advantage of these really good running backs. I think we
1: have. The one thing I think I can say with certainty is you're not going to see an old school West Coast right. offense. Right. Which I think it was the main concern, right, with Carl Durrell getting hired?
2: Yeah, but I mean, you know, he was running that a long time ago, so, yeah. you know, people change.
1: SVD Buff asked Does it help that our new defensive backs coach comes from Arizona and we lost to them? Do coaches that change jobs bring playbooks along and use it against the former team, or is there an honor code not to do that?
2: In my experience, it's coaches change teams all the time and, and i've never really been in a situation where a, a guy from an old team started spilling all the secrets from to the new team um, i don't know if it's an honor coach so much but i think everybody understands that that guy you're screwing over there you might have to get a job from him someday and so i think people have a certain level of professionalism about it but he'll certainly have insights into into game planning against that team and that coaching staff does it carry over from year to year? Does it really give you an advantage uh, i don 't know, you know it 's far enough in the season
1: that you 're going based off right. what you see on film anyway
2: right. i mean that 's why you know all, all the all the secrecy and don 't let anybody see anything everybody's going to see it anyway except for the first game of the season there 's no secrets out there.
1: It does help knowing personnel on the other team to give yeah. little nuggets here and there. Right. How much does that actually matter at the end of the day it 's hard to right. say, but I will say gosh i 'm sorry i 'm going to bring it up again. But Oregon State's come back against CU. Who was the OC for right, Oregon State right. in that game? You can't tell me that Brian Lindgren didn't know who and what to pick on right, in that right. second half.
2: No, that's a good point. You know, And he was in practice every week for a couple of years and, and knew who the personnel was and who to go after. So, yeah, I think there's an advantage as far as that goes.
1: Got another question from an Anon. This one, Anon6188402. He asked, There are a lot of hot seats in the Pac-12 South. How would you rank them based on temperature of their seat? And he gives the rankings of 1, Sumlin, 2, Helton, 3, Kelly, 4, Herm, 5, Whittingham, and 6, Carl Durrell. Sumlin and Helton are obviously scorching. Right. Chip Kelly, pretty darn warm. And then Herm, I mean...
2: Well, I think Herm's doing great. So yeah, they're I think, doing just fine. I think Herm and and Whittingham are are not in a hot seat at all. They're doing great. They've had just good seat. You know, I think Herm so far has exceeded expectations from most people, and you know Whittingham just had maybe his best season yet. So he's he's solid there. He's the most underrated coach in the country. Right, I think so too. And then Carl Durell's brand new, so he's certainly not on a hot seat at all. But the, <clears throat> those top three, yeah. Who's number one? I don't know.
1: I, I got I would be surprised if Sumlin and Helton are at yeah. their jobs a year from now. Right.
2: Well, I'm shocked that Helton's there now, but <laughs> our boy, our, our boy, Mike Bone.
1: Well, he got he <laughs> he got overridden again. Yeah. Poor guy right? can't and fire that, a coach. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> and then he's putting his foot in his mouth yeah, about the conference situation which yeah is a real concern I mean I I shouldn't pick on him for that but you know as an AD you got to be smarter than to say some of the things he did
2: you know from from a conference perspective you want everybody to be pretty good to to give you an advantage of the conference playoffs what have you but man you know every time CU get good gets good really good it always seems to coincide with the two LA teams being down so I'd be willing to donate to both of those programs to keep those coaches. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Nieper asked, why do you think there were so many reacting negatively to the Coach Durrell hire? Ignorance or the shoot-first, ask-questions-later theory?
2: I think it's because everybody thought we were going to get Sarkeesian. And then uh, it's a combination of everybody thinks he's the he's the sexy hire right now, right? Coming out of Alabama. And um, then the way it sort of played out, I think a lot of people probably felt like, well, gosh, you know, then we had to go by our, to our standby guy. And I don't think that's necessarily how it, how it happened a lot at, at all. Um, and then I think a lot of people don't really fully understand Carl Durrell and his career either, and they, you know, worry about where he's, you know, we, there was endless pages of posts about why people didn't like Carl Durrell, and I think most people are starting to warm to him. But uh, I think there's a lot of different reasons.
1: Had Carl Jarrell been number one on my first hot board, how differently do you think people would have reacted twelve days later?
2: I think it been I think I think it'd have been a lot better because I think um, I think people would have looked at him differently. I, I think he has a disadvantage to, to Carl that everybody knew we'd offered a job to somebody else, and then it looks like, oh man, we've got to go to our plan B or plan C or plan D, whatever people think it is. And I'm not sure that he was that at all. Um, so, yeah, I think if he'd have been in the running from the start, and maybe he was, I think he probably was, given his relationship with the guys making the decision, um, if people had been talking about him from the start, it would have looked a lot different. It would have felt a lot Well, different. he didn't
1: get reached out to until after more than a week after Mel Tucker left. Darrell uh, was first contacted Thursday after Sark. Turn the job down, yeah, state at Alabama. But just like it was out of left field for C fans, it was just not a candidate you'd think of if you're Rick and Lance because he had been in the NFL for 11 time. of does he even 12 or 12 of 13 years, right?
2: Does he even want to come back to Colorado? So, I, you know, I, I think here's the thing about coaching hires you cannot tell ever it's a roll of dice every single time you hire one of these guys you know you, you you know you hired a wide receiver coach do you get Davo Sweeney probably not but nobody saw that coming right uh, you know see you hired Chuck Fairbanks like I said before he was the hottest thing well uh, Hawkins was the hottest name in football and we hired him too right so mm-hmm. there there is no surefire thing but I think people like that sexy hire that that hot name that everybody's Talking about Eric Enemy, Steve Sarkeesian, people.
1: Sark like that. would have brought a lot of excitement with him. Yeah. But, gosh, there are going to be a lot of questions there. Right. And, yeah, you're going to try to have that huge buyout, too. But right. in the back of your mind, you're worried that he's going to use this as a
2: stepping stone. Well, yeah, and there's no question in my mind, Steve Sarkeesian's not saying staying in Boulder more than a few years. And, you know, I don't know the guy, but it doesn't seem to me that this is where he wants to end up being. So. You know, if he builds us up into a top 10, 20 team bolts, well, that's great. Okay, I can live with that. Uh, But who knows, you know. I never felt like he was a really good fit here. Although, you know, a couple of stints in the Pac-12, so it's not like it's new territory.
1: Speaking of transfer portals, had Troy Calhoun gotten hired, I might have had to enter that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Is it personal things between you?
1: He's the worst with the media. The absolute worst. I've Yeah. Yeah. You talk to any media member that's ever dealt with him down in Colorado Springs.
2: Well, that little that little tantrum he had when he was it's so
1: weird, man. You yeah. know they're going to ask you about that. Right. Just calm down. Yeah, I forget who it was that said this, but you, you work you work at Air Force. Just say it's it's classified and move
2: right. on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you can get away with that, I think, more so at the service academies. Oh, where, it would have where, been a nightmare. Yeah. Where, where can you imagine
1: it? him in front of boosters yeah. and a blue chip recruits a living room?
2: Right. Well, you know, you, you go to the service academies and the, and the football coach screams obscenities at you. So what? Some other guy tougher than him did for yeah. the last three hours. <laughs> Who cares?
1: <laughs> All right. Only a couple questions left here. D How 888 asked, we're coming up on 10 years of CU entering the Pac-12. Should we have made this decision?
2: Well, I read that question, and a couple things come to mind. You know, first of all, it's it's difficult for me to remove the um, the context of the remove the question from the context of the futility of our football program over those last ten years. Um, And then you look at where how the Pac-12 has fallen behind the big. Ten and, and and SEC in terms of the spending and um, you know the really poor job Larry Scott's done with the conference in, in my view and uh, I don't know you know I haven't kept up with the, with the with the Big Twelve to see what's really going on there if we'd have stayed there been a, I, th- I think we'd be in a lot better place if we went to the Big Ten but I don't know if that had been a realistic option at that time you know what I recall looking back on it was um, the Big Twelve was becoming the Texas Longhorn Conference and. They were dictating everything, yeah. and who wanted to be there? you know, the word I want to use is not <laughs> nice. But, you know, I, I, I felt like, I don't know, I still feel like it, it's a good move. It's a good fit for us.
1: And that's obviously assuming they get rid of Larry Scott, they get some of these issues figured out. right? You know, from my standpoint, I'm biased. I get to go on road trips right. to... <laughs> Seattle and San Francisco and Ames, these great places. Iowa. Yeah, it's it's a little little nicer <laughs> right. traveling in the Pac-12 right. for sure. Right, uh, and there's obviously a lot more CU alumni in the Pac-12 footprint. That's been good for a fundraising standpoint.
2: Right. Well, and from from an academic perspective for the university as a whole, it's, a, it's yeah. been a significantly uh, significant improvement on a lot of things that maybe football fans don't care about but are important to the university.
1: Yeah. Wild Buff asks, Larry Scott is fired. Adam Munster Tiger is hired as Pac 12 commissioner. What do you do to fix the revenue gap with other conferences?
2: His first job is to hire me.
1: <laughs> and he says bonus points for creativity, so he's putting pressure on me here. Right. So the first move is an easy move, William. Move the frickin' Pac 12 headquarters out of some of the most expensive right. real estate right. in San Francisco. I mean,
2: that's crazy.
1: That is, I've been there too. They They held. Uh, media day out there one time and it's fancy and it's it, you're you're just scratching your head like why are they here there are a lot of places you, know, you could go out to las vegas and right. find some really cheap real right. estate out there to have these headquarters i mean that's not going to fix the issue at large but that that's the first thing the first is step. you're already having issues financially and yet you're just hemorrhaging money with your your headquarters
2: right do something to fi- do to do, do something to, to fix the pac-12 network
1: If you could just give me 5% of what Larry Scott makes in his salary, I'll take it. And then you can disperse that 95% to the Pac-12 schools. Again, that's not uh, fixing their issue. Uh, You know, I kind of don't want to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Stop with the Olympic sports coverage on the Pac-12 network unless it's just like given to you, the feed given to you by the school. I mean, they have stuff on their network that's a zero rating. Right. And you're spending this money to produce this stuff. It drives me nuts. Like a couple times I covered Football Media Day. Larry Scott gets up there and talks about all their Olympic sports for like 15 minutes. Like, you think they do that in the SEC or at Big Ten Football Media Day? No. Understand that football is your cash cow. Right. And don't hide behind these Olympic sports. Right. And it sounds – I mean, I, it's nothing against Olympic sports athletes at CU or in the Pac-12. But – You've got to be smarter about it.
2: Well, and, it, you know, they don't, they, don't drive the ca- they don't drive the cash card. I mean, that's not where the money comes from.
1: Yeah. And then, you know, along those lines, again, this is not fixing the issue, but have a show about just football on the Pac-12 network every day and have actual, right. like, writers that cover the team, not just coaches. Like, actually have a, a diverse pool of people that you're interviewing on there. Get some more d- opinions, you know.
2: Yeah. That would be a lot of fun.
1: I mean, I wish I understood what TV negotiations are like, but you you partner with an ESPN. They have leverage with these cable companies. I I understand it's cool to own your own content, but if no one can access the content that you own, then it's pointless. Right. And then I could get it to, like, if you're trying to be ahead of the curve and... You know, there's a lot of people cutting the cord right now, but they're not even on YouTube TV. They're not even on a lot of these streaming services. It's like they, it's kind of a fail all the all around. Right. So I don't know. I mean, those are just some general thoughts. I, I I'm not smart enough to be able to fix it.
2: Yeah, I think the bigger thing is to get the right person in there who does know how to do it, and start moving forward in that direction. Rick George
1: know. says he wants to see you to be his last job, but. Uh, I got a feeling he's going to be a candidate for that yeah, job. Yeah, well, and he'd he be a good be. hire
2: there. Yeah, for sure. I think he'd do the job. Any final thoughts here? Spring ball around the well, corner. Yeah, I was going to ask you. You know, let's, let's close it out with a little football. Tell me what you think. Uh, what are you looking forward to in spring?
1: Well, it sounds like we actually might get a chance to see some of it, which will so be actually exciting. Seeing it,
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it's going to be obviously with them still putting the final touches on the staff together. Right and it being started here so soon it's going to be about player development it's going to be about what does Brandon Lewis look like you know and, and a lot of these newcomers right. and, and more personnel stuff than I think scheme wise or anything but like that, that
2: but that's what spring ball used to be about was developing players you know is, is that you had those four weeks to get with those young kids and teach them the technique uh, and how to actually play the game so I, I don't that's not a problem to me at all I'm, I'm looking forward to that and Teach these kids how to play the game, get them fundamentally sound, and get the coaches to know the players. Teach them their drills and what have you. Um, so I'm looking forward to. It. What about any any players that you want to see that you're really looking forward to seeing? Brendan Lewis, yeah, <laughs> always keep bringing, the bringing him up. Uh,
1: yeah, I'm excited to see how it all shakes out on the secondary. Uh, who's moving to safety? Right. Which guys are emerging at cornerback? Mark Perry. Are you going to have a, a star role like you did last year? Because he was transitioning into a really good player by the end right. of last year, and he's got a bright future. Carson Wells, has he gotten over the plantar fasciitis? Right. And you know, Defensively, they're, they're able to have some continuity. I think that group has a chance to be pretty good next year.
2: Well, it's kind of crazy that, that last year we had, what, six, six defensive linemen, something like that, five, didn't have enough to really do a full scrimmage. And now we got loads of them, and they're all huge and mobiles, like dinosaurs fighting out yeah. there. So I'm looking forward to the, seeing some of those young guys after a year in the program and after a winter with uh, Wilson. See how they developed, and see mm-hmm. how they do. You know, it's like so. So last year we didn't have enough guys to really go bash heads with each other, but now there's a lot of guys on both lines, and it's going to be really interesting to see who rises to the top. You know, one guy I want to see if Cannon Ray finally starts living up to that four star rating. I'd like to see him see if he couldn't grab one of those starting spots. And yeah, see Frank Philip, how does he look? Right, right. He's super exciting to me because I, you know, he's got everything you want in a future draft pick. So does he put it together and become that guy? Now that he's over three hundred. That'll be fun. Yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, after watching, you know, I went to see Carson Lee play in high school quite a bit, and I want to see how he does against uh, Jalen Sammy, you know, and, and really big guys, which you don't see much of in in Colorado football. So. Lot to lot to see, and, and I'm very excited. Carson Wells is still the guy. I'm, I'm waiting to see him just to blow up.
1: And receivers last year, we kept saying, you know, Maurice Bell, Daniel Arias. It's probably a year right. until those guys are really merged. Well, I think maybe the, the time has arrived, and Demetri Stanley showed some flashes. Could he take that right. next step? Receivers an interesting position as yeah, well.
2: Th- th- you know, those two NFL guys, two guys that are at the Combine, Tony Brown, and um, you know, they're not there anymore, so hey – wide open for some people to win some playing time now so i I think i think i've touched on this earlier but when you have a new head coach it it brings a new level of excitement to everybody because hey i got a new shot clean slate gonna go show this new coach what i can do so you know hopefully everybody's really working hard and and comes out and uh, really shows that buff's
1: basketball is going to be out of the pac-12 tournament after their season finale against utah this weekend William Whalen will be back in the mix covering that. Chase Howell and Jake Shapiro out there. So tune into our basketball content as things get revved up there. Obviously a disappointing three-game stretch here recently for the Buffs, but uh, still a lot to play for in front of them. And then, uh, yeah, spring ball will be around the corner. I'll be out at Pro Day covering that next week as well. So, William, thanks for joining me on this podcast. It was fun. And, uh, again, just – it's crazy to think right.
2: all that happened here in the last month. It really is. Well, thanks for having me. And, and um, boy, I think back over the last few weeks, and, and, and boy, it really felt bad there for a while. I mean, it really felt like the wheels came off, and, and we were going to go right back to the depths of where we were before. And boy, I got a whole new optimism now. It's crazy what a week can do, and, you know, a good staff and a good coach. And I'm very optimistic about where this is going to go. I, I think we're going bowling. All right.
1: Well, that's it for this show. Appreciate you all for tuning in.